Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Finding Home podcast, where, as you know, I say home is more than just the sticks and the bricks you live in. We like to have a good conversation about life here in Utah, principally along the Wasatch Front. My name is Keith. I'm your host. You might hear that the audio sounds a little different today, and there's a good reason for that. I'm actually recording this particular episode laying down in bed, and there's a reason for that, and we'll get there. First, I just want to say thank you, everybody who has been listening. Uh, our last episode did a whole lot better than I anticipated. My conversation with Dixie went pretty wide, so hopefully we were able to uh, help some people to learn new things and understand some things about the public education system. And I'd like to get some more public educators on the podcast to discuss things, and maybe even some people who might disagree with some of the conclusions that we came to. So if you do know anybody or if you yourself would like to come on and talk about that, let me know. You can email me at findinghomepodcast at gmail.com. That's findinghomepodcast at gmail.com. Now, what we've got going on is uh, this episode was supposed to be about something I've been working on all summer, uh, most of the year really training for. And that's what I was planning on doing six different summit hikes, all nearby, all within at least a 30 or 45 minute drive of my house and things have gone a little sideways with that so I'm going to talk to you about a different adventure I had but first I do want to talk about something that we often overlook here in the Salt Lake Valley and even in the state of Utah and to tell you about that I want to again go back to how I grew up here. I've lived here my entire life. I had my brief stint in Brazil but the reality is I've lived in Utah my whole life and as I like to say you know, nobody stays here on accident, and there are a lot of reasons I stay here. And one of those reasons is the access we have to the different outdoor activities that are well, so close by. But growing up, we never actually took advantage of those. I went to Arches National Park for the first time in my life three years ago. Went to Bryce Canyon for the first time a couple years ago, and Bryce Canyon is like my absolute favorite now. I'd never been to Yellowstone until about three or four years ago. It's just all this stuff that's so nearby within three or four hour drive. And often we make that a particular barrier to us going and taking a look at and experiencing the things that we have right there in our own backyard. So one of the points of this, these summit hikes was that we have these incredible opportunities right in our own backyard. And the plan was to do six summit hikes. I was calling it a six summit summer. And I was going to hike Grandeur Peak, which is a relatively easy summit, and then Mount Superior, and then Mount Olympus, and then Pfeifferhorn. And I was going to cap it off with Timpanogos and Lone Peak. Many of you may have done a lot of these hikes. The point of this, though, too, was for me to be able to do these hikes without it, like wrecking my legs. I want to be able to go up, summit, come down, and be able to continue my life normally and to be able to walk normally. And the reason that is that two years ago I went and summited Mount Nebo and I thought I was in pretty good shape, but that mountain just completely wrecked me. And I wasn't really able to walk properly until uh, three or four days after I did that hike. And I didn't want to have that happen because I wanted to do a lot of summits. And part of the reason for that is there's anybody who, who goes hiking is aware of this, and maybe you don't think of it, but there's two things that happen to me every time I go hiking. One of them is at some point I turn and I look at the view in any direction, and I have that moment where it's just like, I can't believe that I live here. Like, I can't believe that something like this is so close to my home, yet I only get a chance to go out and be in the mountains 
every couple of weeks or so, but there's just something about the fact that we are so close to the mountains that just, it, it just makes me crazy because I don't get enough chances to get out there. But the summit hikes and the hikes high up, there's something else that happens, and this is one of my favorite moments. With most any hike, your trailhead's gonna be close to some parking or some traffic. Whether it's light traffic or heavy traffic, it, it really doesn't matter. There's a point where you get high enough above the noise that the traffic noises and the noises of life and the noises of city all stop. And you cross this threshold into just mountain and nature noises. And that's one of my favorite moments, if you can notice it, when you go from being able to hear the world you left behind to not being able to hear it. And it's more than just symbolic for me. One of the reasons I like to go hiking, one of the reasons I like to do these summits, is I get to escape. Now granted, I do have cell coverage on the tops of a lot of these mountains, and I'll pull my phone out and do an Instagram shot of the top of the mountain, but I don't take calls while I'm up there. I go to the mountains to get away from just how connected and just how noisy life can be down here in the valley. And we all have that opportunity. You don't even have to be in great shape. You can drive a little bit further and go on some shorter hikes. But it's just that, that opportunity to escape life below and to get a little bit higher. It's just a, a big deal to me. And I love it. And can't really get enough of it these days. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I went and hiked Mount Superior. And that was a slog of a hike down. We got off the trail a couple of times, had to crisscross over the ridge. It just didn't go quite as planned. It took us an hour longer than I wanted it to. I got down and, and there's that moment where you're about maybe three-fourths of a mile from the trailhead and you just want it to be over. And then I sat in my car and started to drive down the canyon. And it got five minutes down Little Cottonwood and just wanted to go back. You know, immediately wanted to go back and be back in the mountains because the further away from that I got, the more I had to return again to this noise and the bustle of the day-to-day -day of life. And that's why I love hiking. And I will continue to love hiking. It's just at this juncture, I can't do it. And that's because of what happened this last Sunday on July 9th. I was planning my third summit. It was going to be Mount Olympus, and it was. I mean, I made it to the summit. But something happened on the way down, and so we'll, we'll get to that. It was an interesting experience. Olympus wasn't actually supposed to be the mountain I was on this week. I was going to do Pfeiffer Horns, but there was still snow up there, so I decided to do Olympus first because I knew it was clear and there wasn't any snow and that we could make it to the summit without having to deal with any snow. And so me and a friend of mine named Bailey, we were on the trail at about 6.30 Sunday morning, and we just started heading up, hoofing up. And anybody who's done Olympus knows that it's just crazy steep, and it's kind of a slog. It's really rocky, the terrain's not great, but it's just such a cool summit because it's one of those that just sits right there on the front of the Wasatch Front, right there on the front side, so you can see out across the Salt Lake Valley, but you can also turn and see 
across into the other canyons. You can see the rock changes and the different geology that exists from valley to valley, from canyon to canyon. And it's just something else up there. It's just a really, really fantastic hike to hike up in those sort of red crumbly shale. And you're looking across and there's granite and then there's the dark shale. And all these mountains kind of connect together at some point, but they're all so different. And so we, again, we made it up to the saddle, made it up to the summit, spent a little bit of time at the summit, had a protein bar that would have been about 9.30 in the morning. That's uh, relevant and you'll find out why further on. And then we decided to head on down. So we get down, you have to kind of scramble down some rocks to get down. Then you got to go down this pretty long stretch of steep, rocky terrain where you got to be pretty careful. It's kind of a pain. And we got through all of that. So really, the most dangerous part of the hike was over. And we were just on our way. So we were just cruising down the hill. And somehow we got off on a deer path as opposed to the main trail. But it was a pretty well-worn deer path. But as we were walking along, my left foot didn't purchase. It didn't grip the ground and it slipped out from under me. Now that wouldn't have been a big problem if my right foot had also not purchased and it slipped out from under me. I would have fell on my butt, would have been embarrassed, would have slid down the hill a bit, got back up and continued on. But my right toe caught on a rock right at that moment. So my left foot went down, my right foot went back and all of my body weight came down right on top of my lower right leg. And in that moment, you know those moments where you really hope what you just heard isn't what you heard. In that moment, I heard my bone snap. And it was a loud snap. And my buddy Bailey, who was about 15, 20 yards down the trail, he heard my bone snap. And he had said to me that he had hoped it was, he had heard me fall and that he had heard me grab a tree branch and break the tree branch. Till he heard me shout his name and say, hey Bailey, I broke my leg. And I think I immediately went into shock because it wasn't painful right out the gate. And it didn't really get painful till further on. But here we are, we're about two miles from the trailhead in the last bit of shade on an exposed mountain face. And I have broken not just my leg, I've broken my tibia. So I've broken the weight bearing bone in my lower leg. So there's no way we splint it and I hobble down. I didn't just sprain my ankle. Like immediately I had this goose egg around my lower leg. So we were trying to figure out what to do. We really wish. I would have loved to have just splinted it and wandered down and then gotten it, you know, a cast on it and called it good. But the break was worse than that. And that's why I say I think I went into shock pretty immediately because I just sat there making dumb jokes and telling people to be careful and to watch their step. And eventually we decided we had to call 911. So I moved off the trail elevated my foot, put my back against a tree, and sat in what little shade there was, and we called 911. And it wasn't even me or Bailey, it was this other guy on the trail. Let me tell you, man, people who are on hiking trails are just the nicest, most helpful people in the world. One of the first people that was there when I broke my leg, she had a bunch of ibuprofen, so she gave me some. I took that. I think that helped with my pain out the gate. And everybody was just so helpful. A guy gave us this paracord bracelet to try and splint my leg, and then it didn't work. And there were all sorts of things. But people were just so helpful and so kind. So we called 911, and I'm not sure what was going on with the 911 dispatcher, but the dispatcher did not seem to know the right questions to ask or what was going on. Because the guy told her, said, hey, we're on Mount Olympus, on the Mount Olympus Trail. I've got a guy with a broken leg. And they didn't know where Mount Olympus was. 
They were asking if they were in the state of Utah, and then they seemed to be very highly focused on both my age and my weight. My age is 38, my weight is somewhere between 210 and 220. And it became evident after that 911 call and a couple of subsequent conversations with search and rescue, the reason they were so concerned with my age and weight is that they didn't think that they could carry me down the mountain. Now we've all heard rumors of what it costs to get life lighted somewhere and I was not interested. I was not interested in getting life lighted somewhere because I'm a, I'm a thrifty man. I don't like to pay for things that I don't feel I need, but there was no other way I was getting down off the mountain. So I had to sit on the mountain for a couple of hours and wrap my brain around the fact that they were going to fly a helicopter up to the mountain, hook me on it, and that's how I was going to get down. And it seems like kind of a cheap way to not have to finish a hike, but again, <laughs> I'd rather finish the hike than get carried down the mountain. So I'm sitting there trying to wrap my brain around it. I'm going from, isn't this funny, to being kind of angry about the whole situation. But the overwhelming feeling the whole time was that it was just surreal. You know, here I am, sitting on the side of a mountain in the shade of a tree with a broken leg, waiting to have a helicopter come pull me off the mountain. That's just, it's crazy. It still seems surreal to me now. It still doesn't seem like it happened. Eventually though, the search and rescue hikers, they ran up to us and those guys are just amazing. They came up, they had water in their packs, they made sure I was hydrated, they put a splint on my leg, and we had to move me out to where the helicopter could pick me up because I was in the middle of a bunch of scrub. So we splinted my leg up and I started to crab walk down the trail, got there and then the helicopter located us and then they dropped off a paramedic. The paramedic came over to get me ready to get carried off the mountain. Um, so the helicopter dropped off the paramedic, the helicopter took off, the paramedic had a big bag and started getting everything ready. He asked me all the same questions. I had to get my vitals and make, I had to make sure that it was a ground level fall and that I hadn't hit my head and I didn't have a compound fracture. I wasn't bleeding anywhere. It was really just a bad break. Once we determined all of that, I, I didn't know how any of this worked. And so the paramedic, John was his name, John, he had his whole rig on, he had a harness on and such. But what he had for me was essentially a big diaper. It was the rescue diaper is what I'll call it. It's a piece of triangle with clips on each point. And what they do is they get that up underneath you and then they clip it all together, clip it to the paramedic, and then clip it to the hook coming down from the helicopter. So I sat there on the ground and John was in front of me and he called for the helicopter to come back. I had to put on a helmet and I had the rescue diaper all hooked up. And the thing that I didn't know, well, I knew it, but you really don't think about it, about helicopters, is just how much dust and debris they kick up when they get low to the ground. So the helicopter came over, hovered above us and dropped the cable. And man, it was blowing so hard, it was almost knocking John the paramedic over. I'm sitting on the ground, so it's not knocking me over. But there's little rocks and leaves and bits of tree branch and stuff that are just hitting us. And the hook comes down and they hook us in and John gives them the green light and they slowly just lift us up off the ground. As a guy who's afraid of heights, it was a little unnerving, but at the same time, it's all still so surreal. I don't know how to describe it, I really don't, because it doesn't seem like it happened, you know? And they hoist us up, they get us up off the ground, the helicopter gets to a better altitude, and then they start wheeling the 
the winch up, basically the hook pulling us up to the side of the helicopter. And the interesting thing was, because I wasn't hurt too bad, I didn't actually get inside the helicopter. They just pulled me up to the side and I actually was holding on to one of the skids that you, know, you step on to, to get into the helicopter. For most of the ride down, we were just hanging there, me and John on the side of the helicopter. And how those guys can pilot that thing with 400 pounds of dude hanging off the side, I don't know. But those paramedics, those life flight people are just absolutely amazing. And so they pulled us off the mountain and we, we flew down and went down closer to land. They winched us up a little higher, landed on Wasatch Boulevard, and then just kind of winched me down to the ground. And at this point, it was probably 100 degrees outside, so it was pretty hot on the ground, and they were all very careful about making sure I didn't get hurt and making sure I didn't have any more injuries come up. Um, at that time, they unclipped me from the helicopter and then moved me to an ambulance. They weren't going to have to life flight me anywhere, which was nice. Um, they moved me to the ambulance to take a look at me, get my vitals again, make sure that everything was okay. And, and at this time, I'm pretty sure I'm still in shock because I'm just... I'm, a, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed that I broke my leg. I'm embarrassed that they just had to fly me off of the mountain. And I'm embarrassed that when we landed, there was like 20 different emergency responders there. Because I, it's just not that big a deal. You know, I just don't think that <laughs> I'm a big enough deal for that to be the case, right? But this is their job. This is what they do. And so they took great care of me, made sure I was stable. At that point, Tia was almost there. So she picked me up, they released me, they didn't insist on me taking the ambulance to the hospital, and she drove me down to our hospital, and they took the x-rays. And they got us right in, it was a Sunday afternoon, so it wasn't too busy at the ER, and we go rolling in there, and they take the x-rays. And before they took the x-rays, I told the tech, they're like, what happened? I said, I broke my leg. She said, are you sure? I'm like, I'm pretty sure, I can feel the bones moving against each other. And then she took the first shot, and when she saw it, her face just was like, ugh! And I said, I told you so. And she said, I can't say anything, because as you know, these x-ray techs can't really interpret the images. They just get to take the images. But sure enough, I had this great fracture. Um, and I'll put pictures of, of all of this on the website, but I had this fantastic fracture there, the lower part of my tibia, where basically a big old chunk of my tibia had just kind of broken out. And they had to decide how they wanted to correct it. And the thing that I love, the thing that I love more about this hospital and my medical staff than Anything else is they kept referring to me as young and healthy, and I kept saying, yeah, I am, because, as you know, I had an episode a while back about how I kind of feel old sometimes, but at this juncture, young and healthy will work for me, because that means my recovery's going to be a little bit better. At any rate, the, the orthopedic surgeon came in and said we had one of two choices. They could put a cast on it, the cast would have to go all the way up to my thigh, and my bone probably wouldn't heal properly, and it'd take a long time. So the alternative was to repair it surgically. And repairing it surgically, what that constitutes is they cut an incision in your knee and they pull back your tendons, they drill a little hole in the top of your tibia, which was my broken bone, and then they put a metal rod right down the middle of your tibia to hold it all in place. And then they put a couple of pins in to hold the rod in place on either side of the break so that the bone can heal properly. 
with that I keep it in a splint but I wouldn't have to have it casted and I could have it healed up in as little as eight weeks but probably closer to 12 depending on how quickly my bones heal. So it seemed like there was the obvious decision to make, right? I didn't want an up to the hip cast and I didn't want 12 months of recovery time so we opted for the surgery. And what was kind of miraculous is, like I said, I had only had that protein bar at 9.30 that morning. So I knew exactly what I'd had to eat that day. So they were able to get me right into surgery, and they were able to do that because I hadn't had anything to eat since 9.30 that morning. And this was around, my surgery started around 5 or 6 p.m. So it was really just... If you're gonna fall on a mountain and break your leg and have to get surgery, all my conditions were pretty ideal. I know falling down on a mountain and having to get surgery because you broke your leg is not ideal. But if you have to do that, if that's the path your life is gonna go down, you know, I couldn't have had better conditions in order to make that happen. This was the first time I'd ever been under anesthesia for any surgery, so they were a little concerned about that, but the surgery went very quickly and fine. And uh, I woke up later that night and stayed till the next day, and then I came home, which is where I find myself now. On about day four of my convalescence, so I'm recording this on Thursday the 13th, and my leg hurts. But funnily, it doesn't hurt where you think it would. Where my big break is doesn't hurt. Where my pins don't hurt. Pins are don't hurt. My knee incision hurts a little bit, but I also found out that I have a little tiny fracture on my fibula. On the bone they don't care about. On the bone I wish had been the only bone I broke because I could have made it down the mountain. And that particular break is killing me. <laughs> Which is just kind of funny. You know, I have, all, I have a metal rod in my leg and this great big break and what hurts the most is this little tiny spiral fracture on my fibula, which just seems stupid. And I guess that's the bottom line. Like, oh, this, this was a grand adventure and a lot of people are saying, wow, that's crazy or wow, that's so cool you got to ride on the helicopter. And the reality is I just kind of felt dumb. You know, I love attention. Obviously, I love attention. I wouldn't do this podcast if I didn't love attention. I wouldn't write the newsletter if I didn't love attention. I wouldn't do any of this if I didn't love attention. But I like to be in control of the narrative. I like to be in control of the attention. And what embarrassed me the most is there was a news story on Sunday night that referred to me as 38-year-old man airlifted off of Mount Olympus. And I... Didn't really like being 38-year-old man airlifted off Mount Olympus because there's a lot of assumptions you can make about that. You know, and people will, and then people will forget about it. Like I say, nobody thinks about you as much as you think about them thinking about you. But to be fair, it is a little embarrassing because it's not like a really cool leg break story. I slipped and broke my leg like an old man, and then I had to be hauled off the mountain by helicopter, via helicopter, like a fat man. I am neither of those things. But now as I lay in bed, being really sick of Netflix and really sick of television in general, I decided, you know what, I'll just have to record a podcast about it. It'll give me something to do in the meantime. So that's my story. And at the end of the day, <laughs> it's just like when I came down off Superior or off of Grandeur or off of any hike. I just want to get back. So next year, you'll have to put up with me talking about probably a seven summit somewhere because I think I want to tack an extra one on there. But I just want to get back outside. I just want to get back out on the trail because I want to escape. I want to escape the noise and the hustle and the bustle of everything that goes on down here. 
Now I'm not going to be able to do that for a couple of months. But man, the day I can get back up in the mountains is a day I'm really looking forward to. So anyhow, that's my story. Um, I am going to write up this whole thing. Uh, it'll have some different details and such in the newsletter. If you want to get the newsletter, just send me an email at findinghomepodcast at gmail.com with your street address. I send it once a month. It's a paper newsletter. It's four pages long. And sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's not. It's supposed to be a real estate newsletter, but just like my quote-unquote real estate podcast, I don't think anybody wants to talk about that as much as I would be interested in talking about it. But if you would like the newsletter, just hit me up, findinghomepodcast at gmail.com. I'll get a subscription link on the website here soon as well. But for now, just kick me an email with your name and your home address, and I'll mail it out to you anywhere in the States. I found out I have some listeners out of the country, which is kind of cool for a little podcast that's just about Utah. That's really just my experience. I just figure I'll throw this out as an episode uh, in the meantime. In a couple of weeks coming up, a really fantastic conversation with Luke Watkins, who does the Gratitude Video Journal Facebook page about a recent challenge he did in terms of posting a lot of content over a short period of time. And uh, he's such a fantastic guy and has such an interesting story. So I'm really looking forward to that. But until then, guys, stay safe. If you're going to go hiking, don't fall down and break your leg. It is not worth the helicopter ride down. It's not worth the story. Be safe. Get out there, though. Escape some of the hustle and bustle down here and enjoy what it is that our fantastic area has to offer. Until next time, we will talk to you later. Bye.